Romans chapter 7. I'm going to speak in the plural because I do believe many believers have trouble with the same things. But it's funny how we as believers think that being a Christian, and I know most of you, if I say, well, you know, the bills don't stop coming in the mail, we all say, well, I know that. But at the same time, we also get upset when storms come. And I don't know. Do you all remember we had a blizzard just a little bit ago? took a while to dig out. Has anybody here ever been in a, have lived in a state where there's been many tornadoes? I'll just raise my hand there. How about hurricanes? You know, hurricanes aren't, they're, uh, it's kind of funny here, we think about hurricane, we're like, oh yeah, that happens down there. You know, like, this is no big deal. I had a friend who used to run maintenance on a set of apartments right on the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, hurricanes are a big deal. Not for us. It's fun. It's it's not fun, but it's interesting to look at. You know, it's we all we all get we all have rubberneck disease when uh, the hurricanes and tornadoes show up, and we all want to go look. Well, oh man, look at that. That's awful. That's bad over there. You know, but then somehow we're surprised as believers when hurricanes show up in our life spiritually, or just our life personally. Uh, this is still a cursed planet, and you're going to face storms alike of which sometimes you don't think you're going to survive. That's the nature of things. And that changes none of those things of the songs that we sung. All the truths of great is thy faithfulness, God is so good for the beauty of the earth, those things, those are all true whether or not there are storms or not, whether or not we feel like it or not, they're true. It's why we should sing them and sing them more often. Amen. Romans chapter 7. Ah, my nose is itching like mad this morning. So, Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman, now this is an illustration, we're going to move to an illustration now of what he's talking about. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now again, I want us to remember, he's used, that's verses 2 and 3 are an illustration of the truth that he is trying to present. So don't get hung up on verses 2 and 3 and start doing a bunch of arguments and back and forth, because that's not what we're preaching this morning. Okay? He's using an illustration. Verse 4. He says, Wherefore, my brethren, believers, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, or that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Now, he continues, but that's as far as we're going to make it today, because if I went ahead and went through 7 through 25, 
we'd be here till tonight and then everybody would be mad at me. So we're just going to do verses 1 through 6 and then we'll move on to the next part next week. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the day. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for the words of Paul and I thank you for the patience of Paul as he walks through every piece, every question, every argument, every thought. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we as believers look at the gospel of Jesus Christ in the book of Romans that we would not lose touch with it but that instead of thinking of the gospel as something that happened once long ago when I got saved, we would instead see it as something that I live in every day. And we'll thank you for it, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> nose is about to drive me nuts. <clears throat> I envy those guys who they can prepare and prepare and prepare and speak like once a week or once a month, you know, and they got all this time to prepare, and uh, uh, yeah, and then they can look perfect while they're up there. Uh, instead, you get me three times a week, many times more, and more often, and you're going to see all the bad parts of me, including the good parts, including when my nose is itchy, so I'm sorry. <clears throat> but, so, let, we need to do a little bit of background work here, all right? So let's do a little bit of background work. I'm a reminder, and I'm just telling you, I'm not just doing this for you, because every time I get to a passage, I am required myself to also go back through the book of Romans and remind myself how we got here, okay? So number one, chapter one, was that, was that forceful, um, uh, almost, almost rude, but very forceful presentation by Paul of man as a sinner, Okay, we are sinners, and he includes every possible thing. We think, oh yeah, chapter one, that's where all that, all that wicked stuff is. Yeah, all that wicked stuff is, like unthankfulness. Yeah, that's in chapter one, chapter two. We're all sinners. All of us are sinners. And then in chapter two, he goes and he talks about how that, you know, the Jews, they've had, they've had the law, but then he begins to tell them how the law did not make the Jew righteous, even though they had it. And then in chapter 3, he begins to expand and saying, as a matter of fact, not just the Jew, but no one. No one is made righteous by the law or by works, any of that. If you might remember chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, even, even the Old Testament saw it. Okay? Chapter 3 also is where the law basically, when I, I'm going to repeat myself here, but the law is only a witness to what true righteousness is. Okay? Chapter 3 also is where we found out that faith is what brings righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Okay, Chapter 4 is an illustration of what chapter 3 taught, and he begins to talk about Abraham. And he said, Abraham obtained God's righteousness, and he says, before circumcision, which to the Jew is the same thing as saying before the law. Okay, So he says, before circumcision, before the law, Abraham found righteousness. Grace and righteousness came before the law, prior. And of course, thank the Lord, with that grace came righteousness. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for 
righteousness. Amen. That was a, a, an amazing thing for the Jews to hear, especially to be reminded, because they talked about Abraham much. Abraham is the beginning. Of, they literally said in Abraham that he understood the unspoken law. And literally, that's how they believed it. It's as if he had the law before the law. And here's, here's Paul telling them, no, it was even before the law. It was even before your understanding of what the law and when it came that Abraham found this righteousness through grace because of, because of his belief. Now, in chapter 5 is where we find out that the law, and we're going to be talking more about this in the next part of the chapter, in chapter 7. But in chapter 5 is where we find out again that the law came in so that sin would appear as it was sinful. Okay? Chapter 5, verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? And, and I'm not going to go back and uh, re- rehash that because we're going to, in the next, next week, we're going to be talking much more about it, developing that truth more. And then we got to chapter 6, and it says, we got the idea that grace was not introduced so men could sin without ever worrying about consequences. Just go about life of sin. Remember we talked about that after we got done preaching about Romans chapter 6, that sin is not the nature of a believer. Not, not, that, sin, not that believers won't sin, but that believers cannot live a life of sin. The, the, a life of sin and a believer do not go together. Those things are not compatible, Okay. So, a believer cannot claim grace and continuing a life that they know absolutely is a life of sin. Now, I'm just going to remind you again, and I know you all know this, but we would not have verses like 1 John 1, 9, or um, John saying, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, if Paul intended to mean that believers would never, ever sin. Okay, that's not ever what Paul says. As a matter of fact, when we get to the end of chapter 7, you should already know that. If you remember the end of chapter 7, for that I would, I do not. And we're going to talk about some of that also here next week, not this week. But the idea is, is that a believer cannot devote himself to a life of self and sin without there being conviction or at least a, at the very least conviction of the Holy Spirit, which should make him miserable, okay, I'm serious, miserable. A Christian who is trying to run away from God, a true believer who is trying to run away from God into sin is the most miserable person you will ever meet in your life. They should not be comfortable living that way, not in the least. Okay, so the next natural question that would have come from those people who are listening, the Romans, remember remember we go back, the Romans had this for a long time, the Jews had been, had been out of Rome. So the Gentiles that had their own church who did not know the law because of, you know, the, the emperor kicking all the Jews out because there was this big fight between the believing Jews and the unbelieving Jews. Some of you remember some of that? We talked about it. So now the believing Jews are coming back into churches where Gentiles have been in control for at least five years and maybe more. And the two are now realizing we don't want to make a big fuss and we're both believers. How do we then come together and on agreement. How can we agree to come together? So the next natural question would come from them. Of course, the Jews are like, well, that's right. Sin is not the nature of a believer. Okay? But now he's got to address the next question that they would have. Because their, their pendulum swing would go from sin is the, not the nature of a believer to, well, then law must be the nature of a believer. Okay? That's, that's the pendulum swing, the difference you have between the Jews and the Gentiles, or the Gentiles and the Jews, if you will. So chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 deals with this question. 
or it starts dealing with this question because we run into some other issues. So to answer the question ahead of its time in the simplest form, I think, okay, just as living a life of sin is not to... Now listen all the way through, and if you disagree, you're going to have to come back next Sunday and keep listening because Paul's not done either. Just as living a life of sin is not to be the nature of a believer, so also living a life devoted to obedience to the law is, not, is also not to be the nature of a believer. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. Just as living a life of sin is not to be the nature of a believer, so also is living a life devoted to obedience to the law not intended to be the nature of a believer. It's not the nature of a believer. Why? Well, while there's multiple reasons, I've, I've used a, a very limited title or a very limited outline here, and I've called it the limited reach of the law, but we're, I don't want you to focus too much on that. So we're just going to walk through what Paul is saying, okay? Number one, in verse one, he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them which know the law, how the law look at, has dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Okay, now he's trying to make this very clear distinction that and it's the same distinction we use, okay? Absolute same distinction we use. If, uh, if um, two people make a contract, okay, that is without end, okay? Do you understand? So if, let's say Trenton and I make a contract that uh, we are going to, contractually, we are going to meet once a year on December the 1st, um, no matter where we're from, no matter where we're at, no matter how far we have to travel, we are going to meet to discuss uh, the nature of the St. Louis Blues hockey team. Okay, let's just randomly pick it up, okay? Um, and we say this, this, this uh, contract is lasts in perpetuity. What does that mean? It doesn't have an end. That's not entirely true, is it? Because when, when does that, con- there is an end to that contract, and what is it? death. If, if Trenton passes away, the contract's over. It would be really creepy for, for, for Brother Luke to show up with the ashes <laughs> of Trenton. That, the, no, the contract's over. Death brings an end to all contracts that are person to person. Okay, you understand? Is everybody with me? Death brings an end to all contracts. Verses 2 and 3, Paul uses a very simple illustration, okay? And he says, according to the law, if a, if, a, if a woman is married to a man and then she goes and marries another man, she has broken the law unless that other man dies. Now she is free contractually, you hear that? From the law and she is free to marry another. And then he, now this is just an illustration, so he moves it on and he kind of reverses the whole thing a little bit. It's kind of weird how he talks about it, but it's just how Paul is doing it because he's talking about contraction, contracts are done at death. And then he reminds us that Jesus died and that we died with him. Okay, so look at what it says there in verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also, look at, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. What does that mean? That means... We were in Christ on the cross, and when he died on the cross, we died with him to the law. The law, we were, we were subject to the law prior to our death. 
The law and sin had dominion over us. It was the rule by which we lived. But when, now, now I know there's a lot of people saying, wow, this brings up so many questions. You're just going to have to come back next Sunday because we're going to keep talking about it. But the believers have died in Christ. Thus, we are dead to the law. We were dead, chapter 6, we were dead to the dominion of sin. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, we are dead to the dominion of the law. Amen. It says, we are now, what does it say in verse 4? We are married to another. Now, who is that? Is? Who, who is that? It says in the next phrase. We're married to Christ. We are now married to Christ. Amen. This is great stuff. Married to Christ. And it says the purpose of this is that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, he's very, this is exactly what it sounds like. He's talking about fruit, babies. Okay, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be disgusting, but what does a marriage produce typically? It produces babies. There's fruit born of the union. And that is exactly, that is exactly what this passage is talking about here. The union of ourselves with Christ should bring forth fruit. Now, he doesn't spend a lot of time there, but he says it. It's obviously there, that there's supposed to be fruit. And he says in verse 6, But now we are delivered from the law. Okay. Man, I'm, I'm gonna have, I have an illustration I've been running around in my head, but I think I'm going to hold off till next week because it will serve better next week. So, we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of of the letter. No, I'm going to use the illustration anyways. So, I'll uh, see. Um, I, need some, I need some help here. So, uh, I always use Brother Greg, because you're, you're kind of handy. Can, 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 you, can you come up? Let's see, who else can I get in here? Uh, Brother Luke, can you come up? And Brother Trenton. Are you, if you guys are free. Well, I know, you know, I try to, like, I try to be aware that sometimes dads are also there to help with zookeeping. So, um, let's see here. I'm going to need one more person, I think. Could, let's see. Autumn, would you mind coming? Okay. So, I need you guys to scooch over just a little bit, but stand close together. Okay? Oh, boy, you're the lucky one today. Okay. Right in the middle. So, this is you as a believer. Okay? This actually kind of works. But this is, this is you as a believer. Okay, as a believer, and I want you. To, I want, I'm trying to put in the, put the picture in place of what what Paul is putting together. Is that at one time before salvation, you were married to the law? Okay. In other words, you owed the law your service. But the problem is, with the law came sin, which is what we're going to talk about next week a little bit, and we're going to talk about some of that issues because when you get the law and you're a man, you're a human. Guess what comes with law? The breaking of law. And we're going to talk about that next week because built into you as a person is the desire to break the law. Not me, oh, be quiet. I do everything right. Liar, liar, pants, skirt, whatever it is you wear, on fire, big time. And you absolutely know it. If you, if you seriously believe that you're just, you know, you're just really good and you don't sin, you are so full of pride you can't even see yourself. And you need to go look in the Bible mirror a little bit longer. But So with the law comes sin. Now these two aren't friends, and we're going to look at that next week, but they, they come together for, for a human. 
And you all know this, don't you? Because you've tried to be better. You've tried to do good. And you've, you've tried and tried and tried. And half the time, sometimes more than half the time, sometimes all the time, you find yourself a failure. Amen? I, I tell you, it would be very good for those of you who know that this is true to be vocal here about it. Because other humans need to hear that to fail at trying to keep the law and to do right is pretty common amongst all humans. And what it says is, when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, cross this union was separated. There is, there is no dominion here. There is no command here. There is no, there's nothing from them that they can do to her to make her be anything other than what she is. They can't tell her. They can't command her. And that's both sin and the law. Listen, you hear what I'm saying? This contract is dead. The law can no more tell you as a Christian what you can and cannot do. Do you you understand that? That is what's being said. Now, granted, sin is no longer able to tell you what you can and cannot do. Now, pause in parentheses. We got this great big problem is that we still live in the flesh. And the flesh is still affected by both of these things. And that's what we're going to talk about in coming messages. But that's not the point of 1 through 6. So we're going to stick with 1 through 6. Now it says she is married to another. Well, who's the other? Christ. So where is she supposed to go for her direction, for her help, for her instruction, for her seeking whatever it is that she needs? Where is she supposed to go? Is she... Should she, I just don't know what to do anymore. I just forget it. I'm going to go back. I'm just going to go back to the way I used to do stuff. It was just a lot easier when I could just do whatever I wanted. Oh, really? Really? You hear me? Well, I'm going to go back to doing the stuff I used to do. You know, just so much more fun. You know, I'm going to forget all this church and religious stuff. I'm going to just go back to, I'm just going to serve me. I'm going to do what I, you know, no one ever serves me. Just so you know that. It's like, it's like the greatest falsehood that the devil has sold to men. Okay? Thank the Lord. We do have some things we can choose, but when we serve the devil, what we're doing? We're just doing, quote, unquote, what I want to do. I don't care what anybody else wants. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the church wants. I don't care what all those people think I should be over there. Not. I'm just going to go back to doing what I want to do. Yep. Problem is, you're, you've divorced. Not divorced, I'm sorry. You're, you're dead to this guy. Not divorced. You're dead. You died. You died. Not he died. You died. And he no longer has any power over you. So you're walking around with somebody who is no longer your husband. Or you could respond this way. Man, I'm just such a loser as a believer. Man, I, I just keep trying to do better. And I just keep, I know what I'm going to do. I, I'm just going to do better. I'm, I'm going to pray more and I'm going to serve more and I'm, I'm going to work harder at the church and I'm going to read more by Bible and I'm just going to, you know, man, what, what is it? Man, I should find some more stuff what I should do here. I'm just going to do more. But you can't do that. You're, you're dead. To, are you following me? You are dead to doing more. You are alive and married to one. And that is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just pause and ask people uh, just a general question to some of you who may be thinking or may be walking through some of this. How often when we get frustrated as a believer or overwhelmed as a believer, now, think about this. 
that we tend to run to God as an entity, God, as a generality, the all-powerful, almighty one, instead of running to our husband, Jesus. I want you to think about that a second. Because what gained us hope of heaven? What gained us peace? And I'm not trying to over, overly disconnect the, the Trinity here, but it was by Jesus Christ that we have access to God. And it was running to Jesus Christ and his offering on, on the cross that we have access to God's heaven and God's blessing. I just wonder how often it is that as believers, when we get in trouble, we forget that we are married to someone who loves us and cares about us. And instead of running to the one we are married to, we run to our, our old rebellious I'm just going to give up all that stuff. There's a bunch of, you know, like all those hypocrites at the church. Why, have you looked in the mirror? That's still the funniest thing to me is that we, we'll, we, won't go to, we won't go with hypocrites to church, but we'll go with hypocrites everywhere else. Ball games, grocery stores, you know, politics. Well, anyways. I don't know if you, just look, can I just, I'll just, I hate to, I hate to reveal some of y'all's secrets, but look around, look around. There's nobody perfect here. They're all sinners, including me. I'm just going to go back, I'm just going to go back to, I was so much more off, better off when I just did things my way. Mm-hmm. Yep, keep telling yourself that. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to work harder. Sorry. Oh, good, those aren't the, okay. Uh-huh. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to work harder. I'm just going to be a better Christian. I'm going to do it. No, sorry. You are dead to that. And not one of those things is going to help you find relief and peace in this world. There is only one source of peace, and it is not you making yourself anything different than you are. Period. It is only found in the prince of peace. Period. End of discussion. Now, I know everybody's got a big question in their heart. So are you saying then that the law is anti-Jesus? No, that's not what I said. And we're going to be talking about that next week. But the point is right now, and this is the point is trying to, Paul is trying to make. You've been, you, for a long time you ran to sin to find your peace. And sin is usually just selfishness. I'm running to do whatever I want to do that makes me feel better. Very rarely does this involve any kind of service. Now I want you to notice in verse 6, it uses the word, look at what it says, that ye may serve. See what it says? Service is not over. But it says, not in the oldness of the law, but in the newness, or it's not in the oldness of the letter, which is the law, but in the newness of the Spirit. What happens when you try to do everything perfectly? How many times? Yeah. But when you serve Jesus, do you know what you find out? That there is always acceptance with Jesus. There is always peace with Jesus. There is always love with Jesus. There is always forgiveness with Jesus. There is always love with Jesus. There is always grace with Jesus. There is none of that over here. In either side. Amen. Where do you run when you're in trouble? Thank you all. Amen. Where do you run when you're in trouble? 
Where do you run? Where should you run? Don't, don't just tell me, oh, I always run. Well, then you wouldn't have trouble in your life if you always ran to Jesus. I'm not saying you wouldn't have trouble from outside, even trouble with inside, but you'd just always be peace and smooth sailing. As I say smooth sailing. You know, it didn't matter. I'm just floating on top of the water all the time. No water ever gets in my boat. Oops. Twelve disciples in the boat with Jesus, and they thought they were going to drown. It's not about the boat. It's not about the storm. It's about who you're trusting in. Amen. Some of you are old enough to know what it, what it means when I say that there are storms in life that you don't think you'll make it. I'm not saying you'll think you'll commit suicide, or I know sometimes that's the cause, or that you'll physically die. <clears throat> but your spiritual life feels like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I even want to go on. There are spiritual, there are storms in this life, and some of you are old enough to know what that means. Some of you have yet to face a storm that is so serious, and, I, and, and I'm not trying to belittle any, any storm that anyone's going through, because all storms are, when they're your storms, they're a big deal. But it can always get worse in storms. It's not about how bad the storm is. It's about where you run when the storm comes. Do you run back to the old ways because they're comfortable? Or do you just commit to being, I'm going to do better? Both of those things you are dead to and they will not work. The only place you can run in any storm, in any conflict, in any joy is to the one that you serve in the newness of the Spirit. Your, your husband, the one you are married to, Jesus Christ. Amen. You have a wonderful Savior. Amen. He is, he is, a, he is always there. There will be times you won't, you'll think he's not. But he is. There are times you think he doesn't love you. You know, most of the time that's because you don't feel lovable. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus loves you. There are times when you look at your own life and your own failures and all you see is sin and failure and wickedness. And what does Jesus see? That's mine. That's ownership. That's mine. He sees, that's one I redeemed, I gave my life for. That's one who's going to spend eternity with me in heaven. Amen. Who you run to? I'm telling you, whatever storm, whatever thing you're facing, there's one place you run and one place only. And it's not back to the old ways, and it's not trying to make yourself something that you probably will never be. It's running to the only person <laughs> that makes you whole and complete, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Father, Lord, I, I think of those who might be here today that 